Our scripture for today almost needs no introduction. You just heard our quartet sing the Magnificat. This is the text in Luke's gospel, Mary's song. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the gospel of Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me as we pray together? Gracious God, as these words echo down the corridors of time, We ask that you would open our ears and our eyes, that we may receive from you what you have to give us this day. For your word is a living word. We pray this in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. What does it take to write a successful song? I mean, where where does the inspiration come from? The music business is certainly rapidly changing these days due to technology. I mean, who owns records anymore? Or 8-track tapes, for that matter, or cassette tapes, or even CDs, because now it's all about streaming music. Perhaps you saw in the newspaper this week that Stevie Nicks of the Fleetwood Mac Band and Bob Dylan sold their rights, their music rights, for ridiculous amounts of money. Bob Dylan has sold over 600 songs for somewhere around an estimated $300 million. So apparently writing the right song can set you up for life, and not only you, but generations of your family to come. What's the recipe for writing a good song? I can tell you there are millions trying to find the secret sauce. Now, The home that we purchased recently in Nashville was previously lived in by a singer-songwriter. And he told us the story of arriving in Nashville. He was sponsored in part by Linda Ronstadt for a recording session at Warner Music. Unfortunately, it went badly. And Warner told him he'd have to get a lot better if he wanted to make it in the music business. Well, he took that lesson to heart as disappointing and as hard as it was to hear. It motivated him to dig deeper. And he subsequently was able to make a living writing songs for the past 20 years in Nashville. Not for Warner Music. But the amazing thing was that he told us that story seated across the circle from the guy who turned him down at Warner Music, who is now our neighbor and has been his neighbor for the past five years. 
And they are friends able to laugh about their experiences in the music business. Well, look, whatever the special recipe is for writing a song, Mary had it. She may be a one-hit wonder, but that one hit is still climbing the charts. This week, our worship team laughed when we were planning the worship service, and we realized that Mary's song, the Magnificat, will be sung twice during this service in different settings. That's a remarkable song after 2,000 years. Now, until now, John the Baptist has been the messenger of the news of the coming of the Messiah during Advent. But now, now it's Mary who becomes the messenger. This young woman who breaks into song, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She is so sure of it that she begins singing about it ahead of time. Not in the future tense, but in the past. As if the promise had already come true. Uh, You see, biblical characters and songwriters, apparently, always get their verb tenses mixed up. They see the world as God sees it, not as divided into things that are already over and things that have not yet happened. They see this kind of eternally unfolding mystery that surprises everyone. Luke's gospel tells the story of Christmas from Mary's viewpoint. And in a time when women were often unnamed in the story, like the woman at the well, Luke was interested in a woman's perspective. In Matthew's gospel, Mary is mute. She doesn't say anything. In Mark, the birth narratives don't appear at all. And throughout the New Testament, Mary, when she's acknowledged by name, doesn't really have much to say. The Apostle Paul, he simply writes that Jesus was born of a woman. But Luke's Mary not only has something to say, she has something to sing about. Known as the Magnificat, Mary's song has been set to music by the world's greatest composers throughout the centuries. Mary, who was of low estate, a euphemism for being poor, And she sings not only a solo aria about her own destiny, but she sings a freedom song for all those who experience oppression, especially the oppression of poverty. She sings for all who, despite their circumstances, still believe that God will make a way where there is no way. Her cousin Elizabeth in the story declares Mary's faith when she says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. You know, the truth is, Mary didn't have any more certainty than we do about how things are going to turn out. In fact, she probably had more reason to worry because she had fewer options and everything was at risk her relations with her own family, her engagement to Joseph, her standing in the community, her economic future, even her life was at risk. 
Because stoning in those circumstances was not out of the realm of possibilities in those days. Mary's life was on the brink of disaster. Everything was at stake. Nothing was certain. And yet Mary sings. With all her questions, she goes along with the word she receives and sees herself as a servant of the Lord, ready to fulfill her role in God's saving history. And all of that seems to be happening inside of Mary before it happens anywhere else. Mary knew that God was present because he was stirring within her. And the future was bright because God was present. That's all she really needed to know. You know, one day at an elementary school, all the dads were invited to come to class with their children. And reality, however, kind of intervened, and there were few fathers who found the time to actually come. The teacher, when the moment arrived, went around the room and asked each child what his or her father did for a living. The first child got up and said, my father's a lawyer. And the second one said, well, my father owns a business. And the third child said, well, my father's a doctor. And so it went around the classroom until it came to a boy whose father was not very prominent professionally or wasn't in business, didn't have advanced degrees. And so the boy stood up and he looked at his father, not quite knowing what to say. And then he brightened and he smiled and he said, my father is here. And those simple words, my father is here, and whole worlds of social standing and pressure just simply evaporated. Mary, in the Christmas story, says, my God is here. I'm blessed and the whole world no, holds no power over me anymore. And that means everything. When you know that your God is here, well, you can allow life to be ordered by reality, by things as they really are. Look, not everything will work out well. It won't work out as we want, but we can stop trying to satisfy ourselves because we become part of a much larger, a grander, a cosmic, a historic plan to right what is wrong in life to redeem what is broken, to repair what is shattered, to know that God is here and loves you. Well, that's what leads to a song in your heart. Do you know any loved, starved person who's really satisfied? I don't. In fact, I've never met one. We simply need to learn the lesson that since God is with us, life is going to be full of surprises. I mean, what if as we're going about our chores and our preparations this Christmas, what if God's trying to get our attention to give us a gift? I mean, what if we suddenly discover a new challenge to be met? 
What if we're confronted by some human need that we didn't expect to encounter? What if our plans are interrupted and our complacency disturbed by what's happening in the news on the other side of the county or the other side of the country or the world? Have you ever noticed how the gifts of God, the gifts that God give, always require something from us as it did from Mary? Are there any big changes going on within you this day? Something underway in your life that you can't predict the end of? And your stomach is kind of turning with your own version of morning sickness? Well, maybe the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Who knows? Maybe you'll want to follow Mary's lead and begin singing ahead of time. Because as they say, the one who sings prays twice. You know, every once in a while, our vision of the world deepens and brightens And we get this sense that our lives are not just happening to us, but they're trying to tell us something of remarkable importance. Something new. Shattering. Breaking through. Something is trying to be born in us and through us. And if the new thing is going to make it, then the old thing is going to have to give way And there's often agony in that process, as well as joy. You know, it was a year when everything cost more that Mary wrote her song. It was a year when there was a soaring national debt and religious and racial tensions remained explosive and unresolved. And it was in that year that the emperor called for a census and everyone faced higher taxes. It was in that year that Mary began to sing. And it was also in that year that the heavens split wide open and people heard music they had never heard before and God spoke in ways they had never heard before. And Mary wondered how it would all end in glory or in heartbreak. But when you know that you matter to God, that God listens to you, that God thinks about you, that God treasures you, then you feel deeply loved and profoundly and deeply full. Inner satisfaction comes from knowing God treasures you. And instead of anxiety about the future and worry about the present, you find a song in your heart like Mary. Some years ago, one Sunday during Advent, this Episcopal preacher went into the chancel of a cathedral and he spoke the traditional words from the prayer book. The Lord be with you. Sometimes I use that expression to sign off on letters or emails. And if you've grown up in that Episcopalian tradition, you know that the response is either and also with you or and also with your spirit. 
But on this occasion, this was a really large cathedral, and the priest had to depend upon a public address system to amplify his voice so he could be heard. And the congregation couldn't hear his opening remarks because two little wires in his microphone were disconnected. So catching the eye of his assistant, the preacher shook the microphone, and as he did, the two little wires made contact, and what he said to his assistant now came loudly across the sound system through the sanctuary. There's something wrong with this damn microphone, he shouted. And the people came back with the traditional response, and also with your spirit. This Christmas, in the midst of your preparations, maybe it's time to listen to what's wrong with your spirit and to listen again to the story of God's coming to our world and living in Jesus Christ. But this time, listen to it as if you've never heard the story before, which actually may be closer to the truth than we think. Let Mary show you the way to respond to God's inbreaking with a song in your heart and new life stirring within you. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's a thrill of hope for a weary world. Amen.